You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. Today what we're going to do is we're going to do a final message on our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus puts a cap on this incredible talk by giving us a choice that will really jump off the page. And the choice can't be ignored. The the choice has immense eternal ramifications. Really what he's going to ask us as he concludes this sermon is, are you with me or are you against me? Are you with Jesus or are you against him? Now at first you might say, well, of course I'm with Jesus. But this is an every minute of every day kind of thing and decisions are always being made and decisions matter. And so we're going to grapple with that question today. And we're going to do it in the book of Matthew. We're going to begin in chapter 7, verse 12. And if you have a Bible, if you have your phone or tablet, you can turn there. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 12. And the Lord's going to put a wrap on this amazing sermon. And I am looking forward to that new series because I I really think it's important for us to understand God's providence and His sovereignty. And so we're starting off with a very easy topic Just to get us going on the 11th, God, if you care, why do you allow evil? So that's super easy. We'll just breeze through that one and then get into the really hard questions. But I think we'll find God in difficult and dark places. But over the past few weeks, as we've studied the greatest sermon ever preached, we've watched Jesus unveil a brand new kingdom. And it's a kingdom that is not at all like our culture. So it's an adjustment to understand how to live in his kingdom kingdom. And if we look at it, just a a quick recap of where he's been as he expressed his values of his kingdom, he began with the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes consisted of humility, servanthood, a commitment to Christ alone. And then he implored us to be salt and light so that we can be noticed by our culture, so that we can bring the love that he has for his people into our community. The Lord desires that Believers have good relationships with each other and love each other. And he also encouraged giving to the needy and tithing and prayer, but not for the good of man, but for the good of God, so that we're not trying to please man. We're doing it in secret to please God. And then we talked about judging. Believers are to avoid judging, and they are to live a life that is not anxious because we know that God will care for us. So that's where Jesus has been. And now the choice that we must make between true and false discipleship is laying right in front of us. Who are you with? Are you with Christ or are you with the world? Are you for him or are you against him? And that's a really big choice to make. And in order to get a handle on that, he's going to use four different contrasts. To help us understand the contrast between the saved and the lost, between true prophets and false prophets, true disciples and disciples that really aren't disciples at all, and wise and foolish behavior. But we'll begin here in verse 12, because verse 12 basically summarizes the entire sermon. And it's what we know as the golden rule. Verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So that one verse encapsulates the message 
of the sermon. Treat others the way you want to be treated. That's the way it is in my kingdom. And this principle also represents the essential teachings of the prophets, meaning the Old Testament. And so he's not walking away from the law. He's not walking away from the prophets. He's saying, this is what they were trying to tell you. And so we begin, as he begins to summarize his sermon, with that the golden rule is a summary of the Sermon on the Mount. It's all about how we treat others. It's all about serving. It's all about humility. The catch is, though, that no one can do this unless the power of Christ is at work in our lives. This is not something where you can just say one day, I'm going to be righteous. I'm going to walk into Jesus' kingdom and I'm going to win the day. No, it takes power. It takes spiritual change. And Jesus demands this kind of righteousness in his kingdom, but it only happens when we are walking with him and we are being transformed by him. And so one who has been saved by Jesus has the wherewithal to maneuver in his kingdom and to treat people this way. All right, now Jesus starts on these contrasts and he'll demonstrate first how one is saved, and what it looks like to walk in true relationship with him. Look at 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And so really the rest of the sermon, the conclusion of the sermon is a gospel application. And the first metaphor is a straightforward contrast between someone who is saved by Christ, who's walking with Christ, and someone who has not been reconciled to God. So the two gates here represent a pathway toward or away from Jesus. And so there is no neutral ground. In our world, we are constantly drifting away from God because of a sin problem. So you can't choose just to go on the fence. You're either moving toward Christ or you're moving away from Christ. And the way to eternal life is a narrow gate that runs only through Jesus Christ. That's the only way that you can find eternal life. It's the only way to be reconciled to God. It's the only way to deal with the wrath of sin. The Pharisees, however, and the vast majority of people that live around you are walking through the wide gate because it's easy. It's popular. It is what culture is teaching them. It is all about the approval of people, embracing culture. And many, sadly, are just ignorant of the fact that Jesus is the only way, and that's where we come in. Because we need to tell them that the wide gate leads to eternal destruction. And yes, I know what I'm telling you about Jesus is difficult, but there is a narrow gate that leads to a narrow road, and that's where I want to lead you. That's why we're asking, who is your one? Who are you going to pray for? Who are you going to invite to Easter? And after Easter, who is that person you're going to continue to pray for, continue to maybe meet with, text, talk to, just about these things? Because we need to keep our eye on the ball. We are in the middle of probably the most difficult time that human beings have lived through in a long time. We've got not only a pandemic, we've got terrible, terrible division in our country. 
And it's easy just to sit back and go, I'm going to wait till this is better. No. You can't do that. Just can't. Because these people are making decisions every day. And eternal destinies are in play. Because sin has come into the world. Sin has separated us from God. And so in order to find eternal life and find the narrow gate, we must be reconciled to God. And so we need to talk about this. John wrote about this in John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so this is really important stuff. And in order to walk to this narrow road, you just can't decide one day that you're going to do it. You need to be empowered by God. The, the narrow gate is not accessible by any religion that you choose. And it's a popular cultural concept, but it's a lie. The Bible's very clear that in order to find that narrow gate, you must repent of your sins, believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, receive forgiveness, and trust Him for your salvation. That's the narrow gate. It's not a popular position. And I feel like in our culture, the gate's getting narrower and narrower and narrower with more and more cost. And so you can't do it through any religion. You can't do it by trying hard to be a good person. That's another lie of our culture. If I'm just good enough. But there's that old saying that the road to hell is paved by good intentions. You can't muster this righteousness up on your own. And you also can't just pretend that it's not going to affect you, that you're going to live forever. Listen, you know, we don't like to think about our own death. That's not something we like to mull over, but it's, it's a fact. And eternity is hanging out there for all of us. So what are we going to do about that? Because eternity is a lot longer than this life. And only Christ can lead us through that narrow road to eternal life with him. The wide gate that leads to destruction and eternity without God and conscious torment. But in order to get there, the Father needs to call you and you need to listen. And if you look at John again, John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Father might be calling you right now. And you might be saying, well, how, how would I know? I mean, he doesn't show up at my living room, and, and, and we don't have these chats. But listen, your radar might be starting to get spiritual. Like, you might be lining some things up, and you might be, for the first time, thinking about spiritual things. You may feel that thumping in your chest that comes when God is knocking on your door. That whatever the case may be, don't ignore that calling Because God wants to draw you close in order to save you from the wrath of sin. He desires that all be saved. He wants you to go through the narrow gate. But so many have been lulled into complacency. And they're like marching like the walking dead right through the wide gate. And in order to go to that one, you have to kind of rustle through the crowd. And Jesus will lead you to that narrow one. And the Father will call you there. And so as you grapple with this question of where you stand, the first contrast is 
two gates, one narrow and one wide. And, and, you know, we've got people in the Western Metro that have no idea what I'm talking about, who have no idea that there are two gates, who, who have no idea that they can be reconciled to God. And I'm so thankful that our board here at Ridgewood is on side and wants to lead us to a place where we are having an effect on the community around us. Because the Bible says, how will they know unless someone preaches to them? That's us. That's why we're emphasizing who's the one. And that's why we want to start a preschool, because we want kids to learn about Jesus and their families for decades. We want to build local missions, and we want to partner with other churches. I'm really excited because there's another church that you may know this already that's in an alternate universe called Wood Ridge Church, We're Ridgewood Church. Their pastor's name is Paul Johnson. My name is Paul Johnson. So we almost have to partner on things. And so there's a small church in North Minneapolis. They, they didn't have a building all winter. The guy's preaching outside. And now they can get into their building because, because of COVID restrictions being rolled back, but they don't have any money for rent. So it's not very much money, but we're going to partner with Woodridge Church and we're going to pay for their rent because that's how you build the kingdom of God. Because it's important. Because these are eternal things. So there are the gates. And then the next contrast involves true and false prophets. Look at verses 15 through 20. The Lord tells us here to beware because there are wolves around us. They look like sheep, but you need to see and discern who they really are. Look at 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So this is really important. Sometimes we don't want to think badly of people. Sometimes, and it is good to think the best, but we can't ignore signs, and we need to look at the fruit of lives. And, of course, Jesus is, again, speaking of the Pharisees. He dealt often with them. He knew what false prophets were. And so here's the point he's making here is, Beware of false prophets who will send you toward the wide gate. And the reason they're so dangerous is because they look just like you and me, and they talk like you and me, and they often know a lot about the Bible. but Their heart is far from God. And the Lord goes after these people hard. He calls them ravenous wolves, but they appear to be harmless sheep. And so it's really important, especially in our day and age, to be able to discern who are the people that are mingling inside the Christian community, who, are, who have a platform on social media or in podcasts or whatever, and they are not bearing good fruit. How do we know? Well, Jesus said that grapes and figs do not grow on thorn bushes or thistles. He said good trees produce good fruit, bad trees produce bad fruit. And his friends, the Pharisees, are the ones he had in mind. They were obviously producing bad fruit. Now, this would have been confusing for the people that 
were just sitting on this hillside listening to Jesus because the Pharisees seemed like good men. They, they were teaching them the truths of the Bible or the Old Testament, the law, and they were, they were talking about a coming Messiah. And Jesus said they weren't good at all because they were denying him. And so their fruit was bad. And they, he made it very clear. And not only that, but they, were, they had their thumb on the people who were already under the oppression of the Romans. The, the high priest had become a political office. And sadly, these false prophets would be refused entrance into the kingdom of God. The problem is, too, is that they're going to take a lot of people with them out the wide gate. So in 2021, how do we spot them? Well, we're not going to read this passage, but in Titus 1, 6 through 11, I would recommend that you read that when you get home. Paul makes a list of what these false teachers are like. So let's run through them real quickly. First, false teachers are insubordinate. They are empty talkers. They are deceivers. And if you want to get into a modern context, these are unbiblical people. They add and subtract from Scripture. They get stuck on one theological point, and they distract from the big picture of what the Bible is all about, the story of Christ. And so these are false teachers. And Paul says that they spread their views for shameful gain. This is the prosperity gospel. These are private jets. These are getting rich off of people who just simply want to know God. And then he really brings out the heavy artillery. He calls false teachers, Paul does, they are always liars, they're evil beasts, they're lazy gluttons. I love how he just kind of like is so, so, well, he's just so subtle. Liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, both their minds and their consciences are defiled. And I think here he's talking about people who have begun to deny the exclusivity of Christ and their life is full of immorality. And I'll tell you, here's one thing you need to watch for, and I can think of some people in my mind right now. If you see a national leader or something, or you're listening to a podcast, and they're just hedging around about how you be saved, then there's something going on behind the scenes. Something has gone wrong. And most often what happens when you pull the curtain back, you see a life of immorality. And so be careful of that. And then Paul says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable. They are disobedient. They are unfit for any good work. And I think these are people that are unaccountable. People who are going to go from church to church. They might get ousted by a a church board, and they just start another one. And then they rebel in that church, and they just go to another one. They're not accountable, nor do they want to be accountable. So be careful and watch for these people. In verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And this is really humbling because I know that I have a responsibility to stand here and teach you the word of God each Sunday. I have a responsibility to lead this church forward spiritually, and I know my own heart. And it's frightening. And when Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful and wicked, man, I think he was writing about my heart. And so I want to always be in a place of repentance, a place of humility, a place of wanting to receive more of the gospel every day. And when you come upon a church leader, ask yourself, are they scriptural? Are they kind? Are they humble? Are they generous? Are they leading people toward Christ? Or are they just resonating with the fads of the culture? 
Because here are two truths that I really want you to take to heart right now. First, charisma is not the same thing as character. Charisma and character are not the same thing. We've gotten to the place where we hire on charisma. We watch, we watch videos of people who have charisma. We listen in our earbuds to people who have charisma. It's not the same thing as character. Secondly, mesmerizing preaching isn't the same as Bible preaching. Now, it can be both, of course. But just because someone is a good speaker doesn't mean that they're giving you truth. So don't get these characteristics confused. If you're, if you're decided, if you've made the decision that you're with Christ, then be nurtured by people who are with Christ. And how do you know? Well, they will direct you to Christ all the time. Somehow, whatever topic they're dealing with, wherever they are in the Bible, they're going to find a way to direct you to Jesus. And then you'll feel safe because you're getting the truth. And so don't let them lead you astray. So there's the two gates. There's false prophets and true prophets. And then he goes to disciples. There are some who are real and some who aren't. And this is a frightening section. Look with me at 21 through 23. And these are words that should cause us to really look at ourselves. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven? On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and Cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So there is obviously supernatural power that is accessible outside of a godly arena. Satan can do things. Satan is a fallen angel. And there are, many, there are many out there who are going to do things that are going to fool a lot of people. But the problem is, is that God doesn't know them. And so the warning is this, beware of false disciples who could cause great harm to the church. They're going to come into the community and they're going to begin to divide the community. That's why it's so important that churches have good Governance. I know it's really exciting to talk about church governance, policy manuals. We've been working hard behind the scenes on that because that's how you guard the church. You guard the church by having your, your processes in order so you can deal with people that want to divide the church. And this is really strong language here. He calls them workers of lawlessness. And in 1 John 3, 4, it tells us that all sin is lawlessness. They know who God is. That's what makes them so dangerous, because they can speak the language. They can recite Bible verses. They are many times the most pious people in the church. Sadly, though, the heart is fickle, and one day when it comes to that judgment seat, God will look at them and say, I don't know you. And that should really terrify everyone, because that's the last thing. There's no more go around after that. Now listen, I don't, want to, I don't want to put you in a place where you're starting to question your salvation, because if you are a follower of Christ, it is in granite, 
You don't have to live in fear of that, but what, it, but what I want to get across to you is, number one, the importance of telling others so they never hear those words. And then secondly, as you're making decisions each day, are they leading you toward Christ or away from Christ? And so this is a good time for self-reflection. Am I just someone who's full of knowledge but has never really submitted myself to Christ? It's one thing to know every verse in here, but it's about submission to Christ. It's about being his servant. Do my actions and values fit with being the Jesus follower that I claim to be? It's easy to say, yeah, I, I follow Jesus, but would people around, around me say, yeah, your actions fit with that? Those are hard questions, aren't they? Here's one. Has my faith migrated from my head to my heart? Because the goal isn't to just learn the Bible. The goal is to allow the Bible to be acted out in your life. Because there's power there. Have you fallen in love with Jesus or are you still stuck on, I just need to know more? And then ultimately you have to decide, what gate have I chosen? Am I really going to the narrow gate, or am I like everybody else and I'm just marching to my death in the wide gate? And it comes down again to that question, am I with Jesus or am I against him? That's what he's trying to get across here. False prophets aren't who they appear to be, neither are false disciples. And then finally, in verses 24 through 27, Jesus further identifies his true followers by pointing out wise and foolish behaviors. Look at 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and he beat and they beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And remember here he's he's summarizing the sermon on the mount. This is his conclusion. And everyone who hears these words of mine, who hears these words of the Sermon on the Mount that I've just told you and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And so Jesus, in conclusion, is giving his listeners two options because now they were responsible for what they just heard, just like we're responsible for what we've learned. Now we have to do something with this information. And so you're building a foundation. And he likened one to rock and one to sand. And obviously the strength of the foundation is going to determine how strong you are when trouble comes into your life. And here, the rock is Jesus himself. He's the rock. And it's what he's just taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. The sand spoke of the Pharisees' false righteousness. And sadly, many of those people that were listening to Jesus that day were putting their trust in the Pharisaic view of salvation and are going to walk through the wide gate. And so here's the thing. In the storms of life, in a constantly changing culture, with grief, spiritual warfare, changing financial fortunes, when you're lonely, when you feel like God may have abandoned you, the rock will provide stability. Jesus will be, provide stability, but the sand, the sand is going to crumble, and you're going to be in a lot of trouble. 
So the decisions you make right now are building your foundation. You're either building your foundation on the nonsensical babblings of people in our world, false teachers, false prophets, who will lead you the wrong way, or you're building on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and his teaching. You've got to make that choice. And whatever you decide, you have to then take a step toward it. In other words, if you're choosing that narrow road, if you're choosing to be more like Christ, then take a step toward it and ask God to help you. And begin to invest in that road. And in verses 28 and 29, Matthew tells us that the people were amazed because Jesus taught in a way they hadn't heard from their leaders. 28, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching as one of them who had authority, not as their scribes. So they knew something was different about this guy. His teaching had weight to it. But, sadly, many did not believe. Most did not believe. So hearing, assimilating, is different than believing. So the question I have for you today is, will you believe in him? Will you give your life to him? Will you submit in a new and profound way? Because you can't sit in the middle. One thing about the Christian life, there is no middle. There is no neutral. You're either in or you're out. You're on the narrow road or you're on the wide road. You can't, you can't play it both ways. It doesn't work. Because God and sin don't go together. And so this is a choice we all must make. It's a choice that has intense eternal ramifications both for you and the people in your sphere of influence. So you have to ask yourself, am I with Jesus or am I against him? Let me pray for you. God, I just pray that as we make decisions each moment of our lives and we, we contemplate our priorities and what we're going to do in the next moment, who we're going to talk to, and even praying about who's our one, Lord, I pray that you would guide us to that place where we are totally dependent on you, where our righteousness is, we understand that we're just wearing your robe of righteousness. We have no righteousness on our own. We are stained with sin, and only you have atoned for that sin, and so that road that leads to you is where we need to go, and we need to bring others with us, God. So I just pray that each person here will have made that decision to go down that narrow road to that narrow gate, and if not, God, if there are If there are people here that are are walking through the wide gate, God, would you please get their attention? Turn them around before it's too late. They may have to fight the crowd to get back to the narrow gate, God, but I pray that you would lead them there. And I pray that you would put it upon each of us to be the ones who tell them and help them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.